Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Uh, we thank you for the fellowship that we share here. We thank you, Lord, for our family and friends. We just pray that you, uh, for safety and health, especially during these uh, troubled times, but we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Started. We're, we're, gonna, we're entering a new chapter, chapter 6 of Hosea, and uh, we'll get to it. I, I do want to take the time today. Uh, Hosea is, is a prophetic book. Hosea was a prophet. Um, back about the 8th century, uh, he was called by God to prophesy to the northern tribe of Israel, northern tribes of Israel, 10 tribes uh, kind of broke off of Judah and Benjamin. They were in the north. They very, very quickly fell into idolatry. They still consider themselves uh, followers of Jehovah, uh, the one true God. But in addition to that, they were spending most of their time uh, with pagan shrines and, and doing horrible things. Um, but we're going we're gonna to pause today a little bit. We're going to kind of change because I want to talk about the prophetic element that we see in the book of Hosea. So it's, uh, it's double. So I'm just going to go ahead and get started. Um, let's just read the first few verses, first three verses. Hosea 6, it says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. He is going forth, his going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. And we'll stop there. And I have a question for you. I have a question for you. There's, if you've been reading along in the book of Hosea, this may sound all of a sudden a little different. If you think that, in what ways does it sound a little different? What's different about this beginning of chapter 6? Well, isn't this the first they talk about returning to the Lord? Exactly, yeah. Exactly. There's a, there's a change. There's a change here. Um, now, Hosea probably didn't write this all at one time. He probably wrote it over a period of maybe 15, 16 years. But it was assembled, it was assembled, and there's something about this chapter that, that changes. And one of it is, it's returning. It's about the people <clears throat> returning back to God. In the previous five chapters, God, uh, Hosea had given them a number of instructions about God how it was going to judge them, and there was going to be a terror that comes in, which we find out is going to be um, uh, the Assyrians coming from the, from the north. They're going to come in and, and attack them, and that's going to happen. Uh, that's prophetic. But here we see that the people and God are going to be restored. <clears throat> Look at the, and his going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain. Hi, Talitha. Like the latter and former rain, okay? There's, well, there's a, there's a prophet, Joel, that talks about the latter rain, talks about the latter rain. And what's interesting is Peter, on the day of Pentecost, references the prophet Joel in this type of scripture, not exactly the scripture, but he talks about this is that which the prophet Joel talked about, that in the latter days, right? In the latter days, your young men will see dreams or your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, and this is that which is going on. This is the latter reign. The, 
the idea of the Messiah attached to the restoration of Israel is they're joined at the hip. They're like Siamese twins. You, you don't get the Messiah without the restoration of Israel. The, the restoration of Israel happens when the Messiah comes back. That's, that's the point. Now, there were, there's going to be a couple of times when the land of Israel um, is reestablished or regathered. Uh, right, we know that, that while the Assyrians take away the, the people of Israel, and really they don't really return by the time that Jesus comes around, which is 700 years later, right? The Samaritans are there. Remember, the Samaritans are there, mixed-race people. It, it's really not Israel. I mean, it really isn't. In fact, the, the Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. It, even though they, they kind of believe in some of the same things, uh, the woman at the well, remember, is reminding Jesus that, you know, our grand, our father Jacob, you know, and this is the well. She's, they're using some of that, that history of the Jewish people, uh, but, but it's really not, it wouldn't be the, the regathering. The, nobody really considers that the regathering. And then even though the Jews are back in the land after they go to Babylon, now this is later, the Jews will be taken away by Babylon, and then they come back. Remember, there's a guy, king named Cyrus that gives a command that, that, that Jerusalem can be resettled. And there's a couple of guys that go back with that and, and help that. And we're not talking about that now, but that happens. Even that wasn't fulfillment. The Jewish people were still waiting for the culmination. They were, they're waiting for this. They're still waiting for that latter rain. They're waiting for this, this prophetic time of, of when Israel's going to come back. So with that, good so far? You follow me okay? Okay. So turn your page. Because on the back page, one of the things that I wanted to spend some time on today was the surety. You know what surety is? Guarantee. A guarantee. Guarantees are a guarantee. We don't use the word as much anymore. Surety bonds. Surety was insurance. It was, it was a sure thing. It was going to happen. So we have surety that Israel is to be restored. Now, I've got eight scripture verses here. I could have listed another 20 or 30 easily. But I've got eight scripture verses here. And, and the reason I bring this up is for, is for two reasons. Number one, understanding that the Old Testament is profitable for us because it not only gives us instructions of what happened in the past and how God dealt with his people, but it's also prophetic. It's also prophetic. I'm not sure exactly how many, I didn't write it down, how many verses of the Bible are prophecy, but it's somewhere around 25% of the entire Bible. 25 to 30% of the entire Bible is prophecy. And for every verse talking about Jesus coming, which we quote at Christmas, that he was going to be born of a virgin, uh, that he was going to ride the back of a donkey, that out of Egypt, all of these things talking about the first coming of Jesus. For every verse that we have about the first coming of Jesus, there are five verses talking about the second coming. There's five verses for the second coming. And today... We need to be confident, we have to have surety that Jesus is, is coming back, that Jesus is coming back. This is the, the second coming of the Messiah. And the reason why I bring that up in this book of Hosea is because I teach very surely, there's that word again, very surely, that the coming, the second coming of Jesus 
is very much tied to the coming of the Messiah for the Jewish people. Now, Jesus came the first time, but the people, his own people did not know him. They didn't know him, okay? They, they, he was like a stranger to them, okay? They were the ones that cried out, crucify, crucify him. They, they didn't know who he was. And Jesus laments, just before he goes to the cross, Jesus laments over Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, how, how I wish I could have picked you up. I wish I could have picked you up and carried you with me because he's lamenting over Jerusalem because he is, he knows who he is, but the people are not uh, receptive to him. Now, that's all part of God's plan because there is going to be a time, but it was the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah has always been tied to the the, the people re being regathered in Israel, this, this physical regathering. Now, the early church taught this. The early church taught this. Um, if, if you go back into the works of antiquity, going back into the first, second, third century, the, the church very much taught on that. In fact, you can see that even when Paul is teaching in, in Thessalonians. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, which is, by the way, by the way, by the, by the, way the very first book that he wrote Okay, was the book of 1 Thessalonians. In the Bible, they're not in chronological order. They're, they're based on size, actually. If the bigger you are, the closer you get to the beginning, right? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts is big, and then, and then all of the rest of the New Testament books are based on size until we get to the book of Revelation. But in 1 Thessalonians, he's, he's writing to the people, and they're concerned, and they're concerned because they're all excited about Jesus' return. Not so much they're excited about Jesus, which they are, but they're excited about Jesus is coming back. He's, he's, coming, short, he's coming shortly. He's, he's coming. They're sure of it. And they're concerned because they were all excited about it, but it's been a while. And some of their friends had, some of their relatives and friends or mothers and fathers had died. And they were concerned that somehow they're going to miss out on what the rest of the people are going to be able to enjoy. And Paul gives a, a very important lesson to them saying, no, I, you haven't missed out, okay? You, they, they haven't missed out. There, there'll, be a, there'll be a time. And, and Christ will return, okay? The, you'll hear the trumpet blast. I mean, this, is a, this is the Pastor Ken paraphrase. You're going to hear the trumpet blast. There's going to be a time. And the dead in Christ will rise. And then we, which are alive, will be caught up together with them. There's going to be a time. Don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. So the early church believed this with all of their heart. They, would, they were part of it. The, the Jewish people believed it as well. But then something happened in 70 A.D., and in 70 AD, the Jewish people were, the temple was destroyed, it was all taken away, and the Jewish people wondered whether God would ever really restore Israel. Would he ever really truly restore Israel? To this day, there are many, many Jews that believe these prophecies that, that we're going to go through. They believe them. Um, there's people in Israel to this day that are, that are fashioning, getting plans for the new temple. They believe the temple has to be built, and they're putting together some of the instruments and some of the things. They're looking for a red heifer. They're, they're doing all kinds of things because in, in preparation for, for the coming of the Messiah. The same thing for the church. Uh, the, the church, over a period of time, um, they lost some of the zeal of this. And for whatever reason it was, they decided that some of these prophecies of, of to Israel, one of two things was possible. One was that God wasn't able to fulfill the prophecies. 
God was just not able to do it. I mean, it just wasn't going to happen. Or better yet than that, rather than thinking that God wasn't going to fulfill his prophecies, that we're not reading them well, well enough. And what we need to do is we need to read these prophecies and understand that it's now the church. It's, it's now the church. The church has replaced Israel. It's now the church, which is great because if you don't like the Jews, that makes a lot of sense. In fact, it's almost impossible to hate the Jewish people, to be persecuting them, okay, to be pushing them out, to be putting them in ghettos, and at the same time, reading these prophecies and say, they're the chosen people. It's impossible. It would be impossible for the people during Hitler's time to be killing six million Jews and at the same time believing that these prophecies about Israel being restored and coming to as a, as a nation again and being called from all parts of the globe and the people being restored to their land in order to understand that the Messiah is coming. You can't do both. You can't do both at the same time. So as a result, the church, the church got away from it, got, got away from this teaching that these prophecies of Israel uh, were actually to be literally fulfilled, to be fulfilled. Go ahead. So the first coming of Christ was to get all of the Gentiles and let us know we were all part of now this adopted family. And the uh, coming of the Messiah, though, is just the Jewish people skipping that part or not? That's a great question. Great question. Remember that the, the, the Jesus came to save sinners. Okay? okay. It wasn't so much an, uh, an educational lesson as much as it was a, a payment that had to be paid. The, the Jewish laws and regulations and all of the sacrifices were never able to fully pay for the sins, not only of a nation, but the individual. So, so Jesus paid the price once. In the book of Hebrews, it says there's no longer any sacrifice for sins. Uh, priests stand ministering daily, offering the same sacrifices, which can never take away your sins. But Christ, after he, he, he sacrificed, after he paid the price, he sat down at the right hand of his father. It's all done. So Jesus came to fulfill the requirement for a sacrifice to be made so that people could be made right with God. A new covenant. That's exactly right, a new covenant. In fact, the Old Testament and New Testament, testament is nothing more than a covenant, a promise. It's the last will and testament, right? So after my mom and dad passed away, we took out their last will. It's the last will and testament. It's, it's what, what goes on after that. The new covenant and the old covenant. But there are parts of the old covenant that haven't been fulfilled, haven't been completely fulfilled. The way that, that people that teach this, okay, that, that teach this, we take a look at what we call like a parenthetical age of grace. So you've got the Jewish people, you've got the Jewish people, those are still God's chosen people, but we're in a period of time, we're in a period of time when it's the church age. It's, it's the church age. The focus is on the church age. Now, Paul talks about that. Paul talks about that, that did God abandon his people? Not at all. Not at all, okay? There's still going to be a time when all of Israel will be saved, he says. Hmm, that's interesting. There'll be a time when all of Israel is saved. That's, that's, it. that's what Paul says. So there's still going to be a time, but right now we're in this, this, this church age. And the best thing for the Jewish people to do is to be able to understand that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus had come, and to be able to be brought into this understanding of, of what Jesus did. But we have this, this, this period of time so let's, let's go back to uh, not so much the scripture, but take a look at some of these things I've, on page two. Uh, and these are just some scriptures that I, that I pulled out to, to help us understand um, what God's talking about. In, in Isaiah 49, it says, I will make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the world. Okay, ends of the earth. 
that the Jewish people were sometimes the light, somehow the light to the Gentiles. And we'd basically say, well, Jesus came of the, land, the tribe of, the, of, of Judah, right? It was, it was through Judah. In fact, going back before that, God told Abraham that out of his loins, out of his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Even though the Jewish people were the promised people, they were the chosen people, that out of Abraham's seed, all the nations would be blessed. In Amos 9.15, it says, I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land. I have given them, says the Lord your God. Well, here's the thing. The question is, was that fulfilled? I mean, don't think about 1948 in Israel. Think about before that. Had that ever been fulfilled before? No, because even though Israel had a number of times that they came back and resettled in the land, they would be overthrown again. I mean, even when the Jews went back in the third and fourth century, there was a thing called the Muslim conquest, you know, and Saladin came in and basically overthrew the Jews and, and Jerusalem became a, a Muslim land and they no longer were in control, even though there were some Jews that were left. It wasn't the land of Israel anymore. Okay, this was, this was the land of Palestine. It was run by, by, by Arabs and they gave alliance not to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God we know, but they gave, they gave alliance to, to, alliance to, allegiance to Muhammad. So it, this hasn't, that hadn't been fulfilled. Uh, verse number three, before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who has ever heard of such a thing? Who's ever seen such a thing? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Let's pause right there. It's not a rhetorical question, all right? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Well, it was rhetorical up until 1948. 1948, something happened. Israel was born in a day. In a day. Israel became... And that's right, right? I mean, almost immediately attacked by all of her neighbors, right? And somehow survived the 1948 war, even though they were ill-equipped. God allowed them to, to survive that. Verse number four says, uh, number four, it says, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept? And well, I may also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So Isaiah is talking about a time um, when God's going to restore uh, the tribes of Jacob and bring, them, bring back those of Israel that I've kept. And he says, is this a hard thing for God to do? For God who created the heavens and the earth, who spoke into existence everything that we see in six days and resting on the seventh day? Is it so hard for God to be able to bring back Israel? Of course not. God can do that, even though it seemed completely in, impossible. Completely impossible. I mean, it wasn't too long ago. For those of you that went to school prior to 1948, I mean, you were taught that the Jewish people were people that didn't have a homeland. You know, it was one of the only groups of people that really didn't have a home that had been around for thousands of years, four or five thousand years as a, as a people, as a, as a group, but had no, had no homeland. Uh, but God did it. God did it. Um, number five, um, a new Israel or of Jew and Gentile replacing Israel cannot be the interpretation of this. Uh, can a mother forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the child she is born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are ever kept before me. Your sons hasten back to and those who laid you, you ways depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your sons gather and come to you. You know, these verses, I mean, some of the reasons, one of the reasons I brought them out is because, again, there is a, 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 a large group of people. They're very well-meaning. 
And they've got degrees like I've got degrees and they read the same Bibles we read, but they don't, they don't believe in the, the historic restoration of Israel as the fulfillment of these prophecies. They take a look at these prophecies and they say, well, they're really more about the church. Well, it's, it's kind of hard to read these. It's kind of hard to read these. And, and the reason I say that is this, is that, is that we take a look at the, the prophecies that are given and we see the exact fulfillment of those prophecies. When, when it said, when Isaiah said that, behold, a virgin shall conceive and give birth of a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. How do we take that? Is that just a, a young girl? I mean, is a virgin just another name for a, a young girl? Was it, was it a virgin that was a virgin at one time? but is no longer a virgin because she's conceived? I mean, no, we, we take it literally. We take it, we, we say, no, no, Jesus was conceived of a virgin. This was fulfillment of this prophecy. And that's why Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. That's, that was fulfilled exactly. When we see, a, when we see, a, when we see a, a, a prophecy that out of Egypt I will call my son, we don't take that as saying, well, you know, actually the Jewish people, they spent a lot of time in Egypt. The Jewish people came out and spent a lot of time in Egypt. So really, just, just by being a Jew, they were out of Egypt. No, no, we say no. We, we remember. The Bible says that, that the angel Gabriel woke up Joseph and said, depart from where you're, because the people are after the, you and the child. Take them to Egypt, and we'll call you when it's time to come back. And see, it was out of Egypt I've called. We, we take these, these prophecies literally, exactly as they're said. They're fulfilled in Jesus, and, and it makes us feel good. If, if, you know, if, if we don't do that, if we don't take the, the prophecies literally, it's kind of like reading Bazooka Joe comments. You remember Bazooka Joe bubblegum? Remember Bazooka Joe? Bazooka Joe, you, you get two little pieces of, of purple or pink purple bubblegum, you know, kind of tasted horrible. And on, on then it would have this little saying about you, you know, like, you're going to meet a really interesting person, you know? <laughs> you know, it's just like one of these, it's pablum. You know, it's like, that's, that could be anybody. You know, anybody's interesting, you know? I could be watching Bozo the Clown on TV. That's kind of interesting. It could be anything. No, 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 the Bible's not like that. The Bible just doesn't give vague, uh, prophetic utterances that could be fulfilled in a number of different ways. They are fulfilled very, very specifically. Now, here's the thing. We don't, see the fulfillment until typically it's in our rearview mirror, right? It's very difficult to take a look at the fulfillment of prophecy going forward. I, I teach the book of Revelation, as you know. I love teaching prophecy. But at the same time, I teach it very carefully, knowing that even though I, I make what could happen and how things could lay out, we really won't know how they exactly turn out until we see it in the rearview mirror. It's only in, in hindsight that we see these things. Except like when uh, Moses wanted to see God's glory and the best way he could demonstrate it to him was from the things of the past that he had done. Well, that's a good way to look at it. A good way. Yeah, but if, you see, if you see, this is all the things I did. Same thing when, when the, the, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and said, are you the Messiahs or one that's still coming? He says, well, take a look at all the things that I've done. All the people that we've healed. You know, these are all the things. Is there, is there anybody else? that you'd be expecting that can do all these types of things. So it's a good way to look at it. 
Verse uh, number seven says, so then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, but they'll say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of the countries where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. So Jeremiah is basically saying, there's gonna be a time when the biggest event for the people of Israel won't be bringing them out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea and the miracles of Moses and the man in the desert. That's not gonna be the big thing. Wait till you see what's coming. Wait till you see what's coming. Now the thing is, is that most people don't recognize that yet. They, there's, still such a, there's still such a prejudice and there's such an animosity that's been built up for centuries against the Jewish people that it's difficult for people to take a look at the Jewish people and feel that God is blessing them or doing something special for them. Because if we, it's, it, like I said, it's, it's difficult to, to hate and then give God the glory for the same people. It's, it's almost impossible to do it. So as a result today, the, the, the land of Israel is a, a tempest. It's a boiling pot. It's, it's the center of all of the animosity that's going on in the world. And you've got very well-intentioned but very misled Christians that are leading the way sometimes. Talking about give the land of Israel back to the Palestinians where it belongs and you know, get rid of Israel and they're nothing but a bunch of warmongers and they don't belong there and well-intentioned people, but very, very seriously wrong, very seriously wrong. I wanna just go back now that we've talked about this restoration of Israel. I want to go back to chapter 6 again and just take a look at a couple of the verses. So the first one basically sounds not dissimilar to some of the others except Becky's right. It's a little bit different because it's talking about a restoration. Come, let us return to the Lord for he's torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. Okay, just kind of getting us ready that there's going to be a time that God is going to do something, a specific time. But then we've got this verse 2. Now, this verse 2 is a very interesting verse. Again, especially if you look in the rearview mirror. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he'll rise us up. Very interesting, interesting time. Remember, when the Bible talks about a day, does it always mean a day? No. Sometimes it means a year. Sometimes it means a thousand years, right? Sometimes the day means a general period of time, like an eon. Remember, this is the, the, since the date of Pentecost, these are the latter days, right? Been going on for 2,000 years, the latter days. So Bible interpreting Bible at any given time, a day can mean a number of different things, okay? But here's, it, it means something specific though. It means something specific. We're not quite sure looking at this. If we were sitting this 1,000 years ago, took a look at this, we could talk around the table about what this could possibly mean and we'd come up with all different kinds of possible suggestions. But looking in the rearview mirror, this Bible verse all of a sudden says something different. It says that after two days, if a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years, after around 2,000 years of the scattering of the sheep, the Messiah is struck and the sheep are scattered, after 2,000 years, God raises us up. Is that what it says? Um, he will revive us. Revive us. And on the third day, he'll raise us up. 
sometime between the year 2000 and 3000. Exactly. Or sometime during the first two days, right? The first two days. So we take a look, and one of the things we take a look, we know that this verse often is compared to Jesus in the tomb, right? right. Jesus spent three days, right? But actually, it was like after two days, right? After two days, and the very beginning of the third day. I mean, the, the women went there early in the morning, and the tomb was empty. So when I was, uh, when I was at, uh, at Ford Motor Company, um, I had a job as I was, I eventually got to be known as a pretty tight organizational kind of guy. I was the kind of guy that was, they'd send in to help tighten up the controls. But I, but I learned that from mistakes. There were a lot of things that I tried to get away with. I got my hand slapped, and I, and I realized that. And one of it was we had to do a petty cash audit. Do you guys know what petty cash is? Remember petty cash? In a, in a business, you know, sometimes you don't want to write a check, but somebody comes collecting, you know, for the paper or something like that, and you need a, a few dollars, or you got to go get some, you know, somebody's delivering some water for your water tank, and you, you got to give them a couple bucks for that, and you need some petty cash. So every Ford office in the country had a petty cash, had petty cash. And it wasn't a lot. Depending on the office, it could be 75 bucks, 150 bucks. It, was, it wasn't a lot. But the job of the manager, and I was the manager, was to make sure that on a, on a monthly basis, you took a look at the petty cash and you audited it. You, you, you opened it up, and instead of $75, there was, there was $70 in a receipt for five. Okay, we're good. We're good, right? So I replenished uh, petty cash, and we're good. And then a month later, I, I do it again. I want to make sure that on a monthly basis, we do it. Well, I was a busy guy. I'm a busy guy, and I got a lot of things to do. And petty cash wasn't the most important thing for me. So I, I had a really cool system. So what I did is I waited until the 31st of the month, okay? The 31st of the month that I do the petty cash audit the evening after business was closed on the 31st day of the month, meaning I complied with the requirement that it was done in the month, right? And then it's the next month. Tomorrow morning, I get in early, and I do the petty cash audit again. Nobody took any petty cash out yet. Well, I guess not, not since last night. You locked up, and you opened the, the doors up. Nobody's been in the office except for you. So I did two audits in a matter of one hour, eclipsing two. I th wasn't that clever? Don't you think? I, I think you should applaud. I mean, that... that that was amazing. Well, guess what? The auditors came in. I didn't get applauded at all. They said, oh, you're, that's not the spirit of what you're doing, okay? It's too close. You're doing the same thing twice. Exactly. Instead of two different things at the right time. Exactly right. And that's what they told me. So they said, you got to knock that off. So I got written up and I learned, okay? So I learned. But it's a great Bible example because this is kind of like what this is saying. It's saying after two days, then the third. After two days, then the third. What's the time between the two days and then the third? It's almost instant, right? No almost no time at all. After two days and then the third. So many people take a look at this and they say, you know what? If we take a look in the rearview mirror at the restoration of the people of Israel in 1948, followed by three or four different wars, including their retaking of Jerusalem in 1967, and then the Yom Kippur War, and all of these different things that happened. We see the restoration of Israel. We see after two days. 
we say it's close enough. I mean, it's so close that it's, it's almost there. In fact, I've seen some, some Bible teachers try to figure out the 360-day years versus the 365 years, and that way they, they get it closer and closer and closer to the, you know, the, the end of the 20th century rather than you know, Y2K, right? They, they try to get it. Well, I, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't need to do that. I don't need to, to split numbers and, and find. I can just understand that biblical prophecy could be fulfilled in an amazing way. We just, we just went through seven prophecies. I didn't read the eighth one. We went through seven different prophecies and I could read another 20 of them. There's all kinds of prophecies that God is going to restore Israel in the latter days. It's gonna happen. It's a, it's a sure thing. As we say, you can take it to the bank. It's gonna happen. There's gonna be a time when it happens. But, but go ahead, Joe. Well, I agree with everything you're saying. And when it says on the third day he will raise us up, and then he gives the reason. Yeah. That we may live in his sight. There you go. What does that mean? Where can we possibly be that we're not in God's sight? Well, that's that's true. That is that is true. Except there's two ways of seeing, right? right? There's a way for God to see me, and there's another way for me to see God, mm -hmm. right? So remember, we said that. One day is, is a thousand years, and a thousand years is, is a day. Well, in the book of Revelation, in fact, going back to the time of Daniel in the ninth chapter, it talks about the time of Jacob's trouble, okay? So let me, let me just give you a, a summary real quickly of, of what people that take a look at this literally, people that take a look at this literally and say there's a time of restoration coming, we take a look at the book of Revelation, and we take a look at this literally, typically there's all kinds of things that were called. Wackos, Bible thumpers, no. Some of the good things that were called, we can be called a number of different things. You can't just say evangelicals because there's a number of evangelicals that believe we can take the book of Revelation literally and some that say you got to take it more symbolically because there's definitely some symbols in there. The one thing that I tend to, to, tend to agree with when people say, well, where do you fit in this, Pastor Ken? What we would call ourselves is a premillennialist. Have you heard that term? A premillennialist. A millennium. We know who the millennials are, right? They're these crazy kids that don't want to work, right? The millennials, they're born around year 2000, right? They're now, they're now getting to be you know, 20 years old and there's, God help them, you know? God help them because it just seems like they're a different generation than all the ones previous to it, right? You know, isn't that sweet? They're 45 years old living at mom and dad's house, but they have a plan for the future. I'm, I'm very happy about that. That's, that's just great. That's just great. So, so the millennials, the millennials have to do with a thousand. Millennial is a thousand, okay? So if you call yourself a premillennialist, okay, means that you're taking the scriptures that talk about the thousand year reign of Christ on earth, literally. You take it literally. The Bible says that during the time of Jacob trouble, there'll be a time when God pours out his wrath. Remember, he used to do that on the people of Israel, and he's been very, very patient with the rest of us. But there's going to be a time when God pours out his wrath. We see seven seals. We see seven trumpets. We see seven vials. It's a period of seven years, two different periods, a three-and-a-half-year period followed by another three-and-a-half-year period. Those numbers are in there very clearly. Then it says that then God ret or Christ returns, 
and reigns for a thousand years. The thousand years, by, by the way, is mentioned seven different times in the Bible. A thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. It's made this a thousand years. So people that take the book of Revelation and say we can take this literally as much as possible are called premillennialists, meaning that we're living in a period of time prior to Jesus' return, and that when Jesus returns, it isn't just the end of all things. The end is near. You see those guys with the sign, the end is near? I don't know what that means. What does that mean the end is near? I don't know. Jesus is going to return, and when he returns, a lot of these prophecies are fulfilled literally. After two days, he'll revive us, and on the third day, he'll rise us up that we may live in his sight. We may live in his sight. So the, the idea is that Jesus basically reigns and rules over the kingdoms of heaven and earth, on earth, in Jerusalem, for a thousand years. For a thousand years. And the reason we say that is because the Bible is very, very clear about after that time, there's going to be another time and the people come in and they, they revolt again. Now, why would you revolt? I mean, if Jesus is reigning on the throne, okay, it's not Donald Trump, guys, it's Jesus. If Jesus is reigning on the throne, he's been there for a thousand years and you've got peace on earth and the lion's laying down with the lamb and everything's going well, why would you revolt? But they do. They revolt and as a result, God has to basically put an end to it again. But, but it's, it's very, very, very clear. It says, then I saw thrones. This is, a, this is a Revelation 20. It says, um, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottom of his pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the old serpent of old, who's the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he would not deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones and, sat on them, and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on his forehead or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years was finished. This is the first resurrection, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second, the second death has no power, and they shall be priests of God, of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. A thousand years. Now, if a year, is a thousand, if a year can be attributed to a thousand, thousand years, if one day can be attributed to a thousand years, and we read this prophecy, after two days, after about 2,000 years, he'll revive us. And on the third day, for a thousand years, on the third day, he'll raise us up so we may live in his sight. So there are many people like myself that say, here's the thing. I understand why you didn't understand this before, because you can't understand prophecy often unless you're looking in the rearview mirror. But when you see these things happening, by the way, Jesus said that in Matthew 24. He says, when you see these things starting to happen, look up, your redemption is drawing nigh. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. The apostle said, when is all these things going to happen? You know, when's going to be the restoration? When are you coming again? When are, when are you going to fulfill all things? And Jesus starts telling them a number of things. And he says, pay attention to the fig tree. Pay attention to the fig tree, because when you see it beginning to bloom, you know that the end is near. I tell you that this generation will not pass away until all those things are fulfilled. All those things are fulfilled. So when we take a look in the rearview mirror, so when you start seeing these things happening, of course I'm going to change my 
eschatology. I, I could have read this verse a million times. And all of a sudden, if I start seeing Israel being regathered in 1948, and I start seeing them winning wars that shouldn't be winnable at all, and I start seeing that the, the Jewish troops move into Jerusalem and occupy the holy city, I'm going to pay attention. And I'm going to take a look at this verse. And you say, you know what? I can take a look at this verse and say, my interpretation is now a little different than it was maybe 100 years ago, 500 years ago. After two days, he'll revive us, and on the third day, he'll raise us up. Now, what's interesting is occasionally, there are people that are so smart that they don't need to look in the rearview mirror. There's a guy named John Gill. For those of you that are Bible students, John Gill wrote some commentaries. Um, he lived in the 18th century, a time of Benjamin Franklin. He was a contemporary of Benjamin Franklin. He was a Brit, but he knew Benjamin Franklin. He was an amazing Bible scholar. And, and he wrote an expository of the Old and New Testament. Um, he wrote that in 1809, okay? So this was, this, this is, this is a long time ago. And, and basically, John Gill, hold on, I need page seven. He says, he says, therefore, we take a look at this, right? I'm going to read the whole thing. He says, the times of Christ's spiritual coming and reign, and these two and three days may be expressed as a long period of time, followed by a very short time. A long period of time, two days, because he knew exactly what I did when I was doing my audits, right? That I can do two very quickly together and satisfy both. I can get the one done after a long period of time. I can wait a whole month and do the one, and then the next day I can do the next one. <laughs> I got them both done. And this is what John Gill says. The times of Christ's spiritual coming and reign, these two and three days may be expressed as a long and short period of time. Or differently, you can read it, it's a long time Israel and Judah have been in captivity, but there be, and there may be little hope to the restoration, but it will be a short time with the Lord. Because these things will surely happen after two days. And then the beginning of the third, there'll be a time of conversion and restoration, reckoning from the last destruction of them by the Romans. Um, uh, then he goes on. Uh, but anyway, he's, he's tying the idea of the two days to the time of the destruction of Jerusalem. It'll be a long period of time, and then God will gather back his people, and then it'll be a very, very short time until Jesus returns. And that was John Gill. That's not me, that's John Gill. It's kind of cool. Is that good? You like this? Yes. It's different, isn't it? It's different. It's different than a lot of times you've been heard. It's, it's quite different. And I understand that. There's a lot of pastors that stay away from Bible prophecy. I like Bible prophecy, and I'll tell you why. Bible prophecy teaches us two things, two things. One, it teaches us to live a holy life. Live a, live a holy life because at any given time, Jesus is going to be returning. Our whole purpose here is summed up in the fact that we're waiting until Jesus returns and there will be a time when he returns. And the second thing I like about it is that we can take the Bible seriously. I think I told you before that I was interviewed for a job in Lansing, Michigan, and uh, they wanted to know if I took the Bible literally, literally. And, and here's the thing, you, you can't, that's, a, that's a gotcha question, okay? Because, because we, I, take it, I, I take it, what I told them is I take it seriously. I take it very seriously. There are certain things I definitely want to take literally. When the, Bible, when the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rest on the seventh, I take that literally. When it says that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I take that literally. When it says that God was upset with the world and the world was continually evil and he called Noah to build a boat and he flooded the earth, and Noah and his family, along with the animals that he took on, uh, 
restored the earth afterwards. I take that literally. That was a real boat. That was a real flood. When the Bible talks about then he saw a dragon with seven heads and, and ten, ten horns, that's symbolic. That's symbolic. John literally saw that, but that dragon is, is symbolic. That means something different. In fact, you can see that. So there are, there are times in the Bible that we're going to take things symbolically. Jesus says that he is the door. <clears throat> he's not that door, okay? What does he mean by he's a door? He's a way in and out. No one comes to the Father except through me, is what Jesus said. So we can take the Bible seriously. So by teaching prophecy, there's two things we do. Number one, we live a holy life. We encourage other people to live a holy life. And number two, we pick up the Bible and we read it differently. We read it and we understand that all of these prophecies are yes and amen in Jesus. This is, this is, this is the fulfillment. We may not see it perfectly. The Bible says we see through a glass darkly. But in the rearview mirror of prophecy, the Bible has always been true. It's always been true. That we can have great expectations. So the next three weeks, and I'm close with this, the next three weeks, I'm going to be teaching at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock on Sunday on heaven, heaven's best. And I've been enjoying the last couple of weeks I've been putting together my notes. I've got about 800 pages of notes. And don't worry, I'll, I'll boil them down. About 10 or 12 pages is all I can go through. But I'll boil them down and we're going to just kind of go through over a period of three weeks and we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about our true home, about our true home. Yeah. That's good. Well, let's pray, and then we can keep on talking. So, Father God, we want to thank you uh, today for this study. And we know, Lord, that it's sometimes... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org. 